The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back. This week, Reform This on the Blaze Hope this is a place to come to hear a voice of reason, a voice that you don't hear elsewhere, and topics that are just ignored by the mainstream media, subjects that uh, are important, that are part of national security, that are part of keeping us safe from the greatest threat of the 21st century, which is radical and political Islam and its machinations, its groups, its organizations, its parties, its global movements. Here on Reform This, I cover week to week. I talk about the elements of what we need to do to create movements to counter for us to go on the offense, like I discussed last week, instead of simply playing defense, instead of simply whacking the mole week to week, day to day, actually beginning to lead a movement. That's what we need to do. And this week was not another was another one that showed uh, we never want for stories, we never want for topics of exposure of how vulnerable we are. And uh, thank God there was not another attack. But we did learn that Hezbollah, not Hezbollah, Hezbollah, which is my new nickname for the main lamestream media, the media that just won't cover anything negative about the eight years of Obama administration domination over the politics in Washington and the truth in Washington. And I know there's the old mantra in Washington that when the new administration starts, the new president shouldn't say anything about the old president. And it's all a kumbaya about the presidents getting together that are still alive and and slapping each other on the back about the little smallest club of elitists that now have, uh, uh, that will get together and uh, but remember the cycle is so short so short that ultimately it, will, it is time that will eventually speak the truth as to the realities of what various administrations have done president bush uh, was often criticized quite a bit during his administration and i think history has shown that many era many issues of the bush era that were looked upon errors actually turned out to be rather historically positive. Even the Democrats in the last election cycle were looking upon the Bush administration's often, I think, too soft a tone with Islamists in America as being something they looked up to. So what is history going to say about the Obama administration? There's this bombshell story that came out this week is is why I'm referring to the media as Hezbollah, a bombshell story from Politico, no bastion of right-wing reporting, came out and talked about the Obama-era consistent efforts to thwart long-standing U.S. investigation into the Iranian-backed Hezbollah terror group that had basically gotten hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions, from narco from narcotic trafficking in Mexico and South America and Central America 
and that ultimately they talked to higher-level DEA agents that talked about the fact that many of these folks had been on the verge of being arrested, being indicted, being imprisoned, being taken off of the streets. And the Obama administration then, from higher-ups, top-down, in the Justice Department and Department of the Treasury, put a stop to decades of work uncovering the intricate network that the DA had done. And they put a stop to it at the altar of the nuclear deal. At the altar. How many things, ladies and gentlemen, are we going to find abandoned at the altar of the nuclear deal? How many things? We handed them $180 billion. We allowed the division of the old allies of the Sunni, the Saudi Egyptians and others to be abandoned as we groveled at the altar of the Iranian deal. We abandoned our old ally Israel. We abandoned the Syrian people. We abandoned and allowed them to use Assad through proxy ship of Assad and Iran to use chemical weapons somewhere 30, 40 times at the altar of the nuclear deal. And so now we hear the Democrats about Russia and Russia and Russia and Russia over and over, which I'm, you know, fine, get get on Russia. Expose Putin for his corruption. But his dealings with Hezbollah we ignored. So now it's exposed through Politico that there were DA agents who were told to set aside their long casework, to ignore the tens, hundreds of millions going back to Hezbollah to fund their terrorism. The classic one, probably the greatest narco-terror case in American history was abandoned by the Obama administration at the altar of the nuclear deal because of Iran's complicity and direct connection with Hezbollah. They knew that arrests of Hezbollah leaders would bring an end and could risk the nuclear deal. So tell me again, what made America different from other corrupt countries that turn a blind eye to narco-terrorism in Afghanistan and elsewhere? That's not America. This is what happens when you deal, when you deal and you and you ignore the fact that the advancement of freedom and liberty and those who share our values is our primary purpose, and that if they do not, we will work for regime change. We will work to help those allies on the ground in the streets of Tehran and elsewhere who truly share our values. But no, when it becomes a top-down and not bottom-up revolutions, top-down when we empower the Khomeinists and the Islamists and at the foot of anything they want, we will then turn a blind eye We see things done by the Justice Department, the Treasury Department, that actually, according to the Free Beacon, may have been illegal. Congress is going to launch an investigation into the Obama-era efforts about this. Because decade-long DEA investigations were set aside. The lucrative drug trade in Latin America, according to the political tr- political report, was abandoned in all of the exposure that we could have begun to imprison Hezbollah activists and sympathizers who were also trafficking narcotics. 
officials that were running interference on the investigation in order to avoid upsetting Iran and jeopardizing the landmark nuclear accord have their hands covered in kimchi, deep kimchi. They undermined senior Obama officials. You know, oh, maybe Valerie Garrett, Jared, I mean, or maybe Ben Rhodes. And the Treasury and Justice Department are said to have undermined the DEA's investigation at multiple junctures in order to avoid angering Hezbollah's patron, Iran, which could have jeopardized the landmark nuclear agreement. So Congress, thank God, is looking at investigating this. Representative Ron DeSantis, Republican Florida, member of the House Oversight Committee and chair of its National Security Subcommittee, told the Washington Free Beacon that he and other top lawmakers are examining evidence that could implicate top former Obama officials, including NSC official Ben Rhodes. So, listen, this story is big. It's still evolving. Politico hats off to them for reporting and getting... Uh, uh, folks on record by name. You listen to Obama apologists and they said, oh, there's no evidence here. It's just ideology. These are ideological agents with a bent to harm the history of the Obama administration. Seriously? Ideological? Anyone who knows anything about the DA knows that cases that are put up involve often the loss of lives because we know out of Mexico and elsewhere, what happens? There were times in which there were prices out for the heads of DEA agents by narco folks from the from the pedigree of Pablo Escobar and else from Colombia and elsewhere. So to say that just setting aside long work had no cost to the blood and treasure of America in doing what's right against narco-terrorists is absurd. And this should be investigated. We should not have a four-cycle, four-year cycle of memory that then wipes out our hard drive and we forget about what happened before because we cannot allow justice to be ignored. This is not a petty, small thing. It should be investigated. And oh, by the way, his Obama... ABC, CBS, New York Times, and others ignored the story. There was a complete blackout on the political story. Blackout. Hizb Obama. Anything to keep the memory of President Obama clean. That the, that the Nobel Peace Prize, which, by the way, now many Israeli officials and I think others should be calling for the revocation of that because he basically fueled Hezbollah and Iran. That's no... Nobel Peace Advocate that was awarded in 2009 with barely months on the job. It's absurd. When we come back, let's talk about Hezbollah. Let's talk about the nuclear deal, what the strategy should be in the wake of now, now, this so-called nuclear deal and what we left at its altar. Before I go away for this man, let me step aside for a second and wish all my Christian brothers and sisters, a a blessed and Merry Christmas. May you enjoy the blessings of, if you're in America, living in the freest country on the planet, the blessings of your family, your health, your joy, your happiness, your wealth, and to know 
that we are all in this together. We all, I believe, worship the same God. And that may your struggles be easier. May your joy outweigh and overshadow any of the struggles you have into the next year. And may this holiday that you recognize be filled with the blessings that you and your family pray for year to year. God bless you all. Have a Merry Christmas in this holiday season. And when we come back, we'll pick up where I left off. This is Zudi Jasser and Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. Sam. Sam. Sodomy abortion materialism. Yeah. That's a campaign slogan. Sam, right I am. there. <laughs> <laughs> That would that would be what my opponent would say. Sam, I am. Sam, and I Sam am. is sodomy, abortion, and materialism. Do not elect my opponent unless you want Sam. <laughs> Thank you. The Morning Blaze, weekday morning, six to nine Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. We were talking about the altar of the Iran deal. We were talking about Hezbollah, the, the media's complicit, complicit and obvious blind spot in dealing with a major story that came out this week, a major story about how the U.S. government from the top down strategically conspired to ignore the work of decades of DEA agents because they were making a diplomatic waste of paper of a deal with Tehran. A deal from Secretary Kerry on was all about the legacy of Obama, that this was going to be his legacy, which was somehow preventing Iran from ever getting nuclear weapons. There's some stories that say that Iran uses that to to continue to spread terror and it never really wants nuclear weapons. Others say they do. So we are headed towards war anyway. So why delay it? We can have that debate the, the libertarians of you will say that that's neocon war bluster. The uh, uh, isolationists of you will say that this is uh, not our concern. There are many threatening states like Pakistan and others that have nuclear weapons. That's another debate for another time. But at the bottom line, I ask you, what is the media doing ignoring a political story about DEA agents whose work was marginalized. The House investigation that I hope is going to be done will reveal, it might reveal some crimes that were committed by ignoring the trafficking of narcotics and marginalizing American law that our DEA agents are sworn to protect and uphold. We'll find out. But if there's any of you who believe that there's in any difference between Hezbollah and ISIS, I'm sorry, you're poorly informed. They say, well, ISIS has been targeting Americans, that we are their primary enemy, that Hezbollah doesn't do that. 
their ideology is exactly the same. One's Shia radicalism, the Sunni radicalism. They can't stand secular liberal democracy. They will die trying to defeat it. They can't stand Israel. They're chanting, both are chanting death to Israel. ISIS, because of its Sunni roots, and because American influence is stronger in Egypt and Saudi Arabia and elsewhere as our allies, is going to be a lot more rife with propaganda that quickly grabs on to anti-Americanism. Not to mention that the main issue with Hezbollah not being as openly anti-American is the sanctions against Iran. There's no money flow to follow that ideology into the Shia mosques and elsewhere. That money flow was stopped because of sanctions, and I think as you open that money flow, you are going to see the American influence of radical Shia Islamism be just as bad as the radical Sunni Islamism of Salafi Jihadism. It's on its way, ladies and gentlemen. So what's going to be the Trump administration's approach to this? What is the Trump doctrine? We've seen many reviews of that with a State Department speech this week that President Trump gave, I think lays out a pretty clear Trump doctrine. It's a far cry, far, far cry from the Obama administration's internationalist approach, which minimized and apologized for American presence in protecting freedom and advancing liberty. The main difference, as Buck Sexton wrote this week in The Hill, was that Obama wished away terrorism on the backs of a genuflect to apologize for all the negative media about the impact of the Iraq war, etc., while the Trump plan is to crush it. That's a big difference. And I like the use of the terminology radical Islamist terrorism. He said Islamic. Hopefully that'll be adjusted to Islamist. Islamic, I see, is anything related to Islam. Islamist is anything related to the political statist movement of jihadism and Islamism. The previous president focused on violent extremism, which was a generic tactic. This one at least is looking at the roots and understanding there's a root theopolitical component. Now, I hope to see that evolve uh, as Buck also talked about in his piece, jihad is a central part of that strategy, is to counter jihad. And President Trump has changed this course. President Trump used the term jihadist 24 times in his national security strategy. He details about that. He sets the stage for fights to come. Now, would I have liked to see a, a more forward approach in advancing liberty? That's just not the campaign that President Trump ran on. Would I have liked to see a marginalization of the old dictators and theocrats in the Middle East? Absolutely. I don't think you can get to the counter-jihadist stages that President Trump is talking about in his national security strategy with the current allies that he's rounding up to kill ISIS. Yeah, they'll want to get rid of ISIS, but... At the end of the day, they're factories of Salafi jihadism, which are the incubators, 
of future ISIS, a future Al-Qaeda, a future Hezbollah, uh, Muslim, Muslim Brotherhood, and for the Shia side, future Hezbollah, will continue. So they're not, there's a disconnect there in decimating ISIS versus countering jihad. All of these states and their militaries run and are inspired by jihadist movements. Their state military is a jihadist movement. So they're not going to counter jihad. They just want to be the corporate leaders of jihad. And we'll wait to see how a Trump doctrine manifests itself and begins to separate our Western ideals versus Middle Eastern ideals, versus jihadist, Salafi jihadism. But it's a far cry, it's a big step forward from the obsequious appeasement of Islamism that defined the Obama administration that wouldn't even identify it, that talked about violent extremism. So the president this week laid out a strategy that also wasn't covered in the lamestream media and the Hezbollah. Not at all. They ignored it. Touched on it briefly, but they don't want to see it succeed. They don't want to educate America about it. And I wish the president would use his Twitter feed to begin to lob it over them like he talks about to educate them and American people about what should be our priorities for national security because we're going to have to do it the media here are not only in the tank for Obama but doing everything possible to take whatever is on the agenda of the Trump administration and make him fail make us fail as Americans Regardless of what you feel about President Trump, he is our president. His strategy is our strategy. So weigh in. Weigh in, ABC, New York Times. If you disagree with the strategy, weigh in. I've weighed in. I'm weighing in right here. There are, there are elements that I disagree with. I'd like to see us working with women's movements in Saudi Arabia and Iran, the Green Revolution. Yes, we may call that regime change, nation building. I don't call it that because those nations will build their own nations and they're going to fail as many times as they succeed. But it's all part of the evolution. They need to evolve, not just revolt. They need to evolve organically. And we should be on the side of those who share our values. They may be defeated, they may not. We should not always just pick the strong horse. It seems that the Obama administration didn't pick any horses. President Trump's picking the strong horse that shares our enemies. Well, the enemy of our enemy was our friend in the 20th century. This year, we're beyond the Soviet Cold War. We are to an era in which each country needs to be dealt with as friends that we have on the ground. So look at that strategy. Begin to look for conservative values that we should work to advance within that strategy with the tools that this president gives us in the in his worldview, which is America first, which is strengthening our economy first and that through a strong American economy comes a stronger America globally. I agree with that. And then maybe we can work on establishing that Commission for Radical Islam that President Trump called for in his campaign. Still haven't heard about it at all in his national security tra- uh, uh, strategy. So there's a lot to be done there. But cover it. Cover it. Talk to your neighbors. 
Use your own media to cover this, which the mainstream media will not. When we come back, I want to talk about integration of refugees. A friend of mine, Tariq Fatah, had a column this week that I think is worth talking about. What are some simple things we can do to integrate, reform, that are missed so often in integration programs? This is Duty Jasper on Reform This, and we'll be right back. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back. Reform This. You know, before I get to this issue of assimilation and integration of refugees, I have to revisit this uh, uh, issue about Jerusalem. You know, this week, I again was proud of uh, Ambassador Haley and uh, um, President Trump's firmness. Uh, you, you have to give him credit for uh, not really feeling the necessity to fall back into line of what the establishment and what previous presidents have always said and to basically kowtow to the Islamist heckler's veto. And it's a heckler's veto. It's a militant Islamist threat of violence. They're always going to find something to complain about. And the amazing thing now was this week the UN had the temerity because of the block vote of the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Cooperation Countries that then decided they wanted to punish, call out the United States because it had the temerity to respect Israel's choice of West Jerusalem being its capital. Jerusalem being its capital. That doesn't change the status of East Jerusalem. It simply recognizes that Israel's seat of government is their capital. And by us moving our embassy, it makes a statement. It doesn't change anything. It's a verbal. It's symbolic. And yet, oh my gosh, the OIC came out. You have imams from Kardawi on, huge followings, saying if they could put on military garb and go and fight in the jihad, that the blood being let would on and on and on. Yes, there is nothing that defines Islamists more than them finding a way to collectivize Muslims. And there's nothing that collectivizes their movement than their anti-Semitism, their hate against the Jews, against Israel. And to collectivize Muslims, that somehow we must all care about the same thing because we happen to believe in the same faith, that then politically we would act, or militarily we would all act as jihadis. And Jerusalem does that for them. And I think it's important that President Trump, Ambassador Haley, have made this statement because it takes off the table something that should have never been on the table. So are we saying that it was always on the negotiating table, whether Jerusalem would be considered the capital of Israel, that somehow we would tell Israel to move its Knesset, to move its Supreme Court, its ministries out of Jerusalem? That's absurd. It's completely absurd. And yet the OIC... The, the most hilarious thing, the most hilarious things, and you can file this under crazy things Islamists say when the Council on American Islamist Relations, Nihad Awad, posts a tweet saying that 
America proves itself to be the bully, to be the bully of nations, and that other nations who recognize the importance of Jerusalem will not take the side of Israel and believe in religious liberty. So this little two-bit American, so-called American, says that we are the bullies and that countries like Saudi Arabia and Iran open-air prisons of the, with the complete absence of religious freedom. Complete absence. They are the ones teaching the world about religious freedom because of their symbolic, useless position on Jerusalem, which negates all predetermined, concluded borders that already exist through Jerusalem. And that is the seat of Israel. And yet, Nihad Awad and Care make a statement that is explicitly not only anti-Israel, but anti-American and pro-vicious Islamist regimes as being the leaders of religious liberty. That, ladies and gentlemen, summarizes the position of American Islamist groups from Care to the Islamic Society in North America and others. So, uh, you know, I think President Trump's position on this has done us a service. People are beginning to truly see the real stance of American Islamic groups, American Muslim groups that claim to speak on our behalf, who are actually tools of the Islamist movement and stand behind and with the dictators, monarchs, theocrats, and tyrants of the Middle East because of their stance on Jerusalem, which has long been the capital of Israel since basically its inception. Unbel unbelievable. Unbelievable. That subject is certainly not going away. Next, you know, my good friend Tarek Fatah wrote a piece uh, for the Toronto Sun. He's a regular columnist for it about how to integrate refugees into Canada. And he talked about how basically using as symbolic narratives of a few Syrian refugees he knew who were standing and protesting out in the streets. They had been in Canada for two years and they have yet to learn English. You look at their signs and they wrote on the sign, refugees need help. Refugees need help. They don't need to be put down. Another protester held a sign playing the victim card, stop making fun of our religi religious beliefs. They're complaining while the country is giving them refuge. And then through an interpreter, another one being interviewed, shared a story about a Syrian woman who was upset that a male interpreter was made to sit with her. And according to the CBC report, the woman insisted that without her hijab, she couldn't be alone with a male interpreter, and yet such attitudes have official sanction across the country in order to appease whatever their religiously mandated requirements are, regardless of the society in which they live. A story in the Toronto Star reported on a government-funded kitchen for Syrian refugee women that, in the words of them, brings me back to Syria. So instead of finding work, as Tarek writes, among the thousands of Canadian restaurants and fast food outlets where they would mesh with Canadians and understand the culture, 
we're making investments so these Syrian refugees can mentally remain in Syria. And you know what I have to tell you first? I think I've earned the right to be critical, as Tariq is, because I do support bringing in refugees. I do believe it is our responsibility as the leaders of the free world to provide refuge to those who truly, truly seek ideological, political, and humanitarian refuge. All three, not just humanitarian, but ideological, political, and humanitarian. No, if they're Salafists, go to Saudi Arabia, go elsewhere, don't come here. Only come here if you both need humanitarian and you believe in our secular liberalism. And Tariq writes about another example of a refugee from Balochistan. Both Baloch refugees that he knew spoke no English when they arrived at the Pearson airport. When he asked Latif Johar whether he wanted to make a phone call home to his mom to let her know about his safe escape, he burst into laughter. In Urdu he said, Phone? My village does not even have electricity, not even a road. He had escaped hidden a truckload of onions for 16 hours before he was finally able to outwit his pursuers. And fast forward now two years later, this same Balok refugee speaks fluent English. He's completed grade 12 at night school and will soon be a student at York University. He tweets in English and has also tried his hand at poetry. Tarek writes about how he spoke at a community event, as did his wife, and the audience was pleasantly shocked at how much language they had learned in a few years. So why could the Balok refugees assimilate and the Syrians couldn't? It relates to ideology, it relates to mentation, it relates to psychological segregation and separationism. It relates to a sense of whether they would adopt and feel they can learn from foreign societies versus feeling offended and supreme to foreign societies, even those that give them money and refuge. They still feel that this is inferior, godless society versus one being that they respect, that has morals, that they feel, yes, it might have freedom, but freedom has a price of liberty, of liberalism. So, Tariq says, here's some three rules. Simple rules that he set, and it's it's pretty interesting how simple he made them. He said, number one, no ethnic radio or TV in your home. Number two, listen to Metro Morning on CBC and Light Rock on 97.3 and 98.1. Number three, read a daily newspaper. Now note, he didn't write left or right. He said, listen to Western music, Western TV, radio. Turn off your own ethnic radio and TV. Turn it off. So what happens is you begin to embrace and mesh and learn from the society in which you live. And you learn the language. So he says his three-point plan worked. The governments with the Syrian appeasement did not. What can we learn? What can we learn from the assimilation process? Why do those simple three things make sense and others don't? We'll talk about that in our last segment on Reform This on the Blaze Radio. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jesser. The 
Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to the last segment this week of Reform This. We're talking last segment about integration, about assimilation. What does it mean? What are the questions? Broke it down to some three simple things. And I want to finish the conversation. We're going to end talking about Austria. Austria came out this week with some pretty aggressive policies that they want to institute. The new conservative party, and I'm not sure if they're conservative. I had to learn about Austrian politics internally, what conservative means to them. But bottom line is that's what they're being labeled in mainstream media, for whatever that's worth. But at the bottom, at the end of the day, they're a nationalist party that appears to be pushing the issue of integration. So let's talk about that later. But first, in the last segment, we were talking about the three simple questions that Tariq Fatah said should be asked at the beginning. The rules set when you're working with families. You know, you and I have talked about on this program marginalizing Islamism. We've talked about advancing liberty and freedom, reading philosophy, liberal ideas, poetry, etc. That's all important. But, you know, I think I think Dark whittled it down to some simple cultural things. He said, number one, no ethnic radio or TV in your home. You know what's impressive about that? As much as I love my Arabic identity, I love the, the food, the culture, the music, the poetry, all those things. When you move to a new society, if you don't know a lick of English or anything... Maybe you should set that your old comfort culture aside and learn the new one, embrace it, and let it improve who you are as being chicken soup for your soul rather than beginning to be repulsed by it or be estranged by it. So embracing and falling in love with your new culture is something that either happens immediately or at least soon, a few months after coming, or it may never, usually will never happen. So again, no ethnic radio or TV in your home. I like that. Listen to the Metro in the morning, morning drive shows on the radio, light rock. That's an interesting thing too, which is, you know, a lot of the rock and Western music includes things that in Salafi jihadi cultures, they even outlaw music. They, they say you can't talk about love and all these things. There are aspects to Western culture that are liberating. The Islamic Salafi jihadists often won't even have a TV in their home. They, they, they won't even allow a simple loosening of the rules to expose people to possible liberal laxity of fundamentalist ideas. So loosening up a bit 
in a Western way may allow a rethinking of some of the straight-jacketed black-and-white rules that, that depict Salafism. And last, read a daily newspaper. It allows them to learn the language. They see the politics. They see the, the culture. They learn about the people around them and become engaged in the community. It is amazing to me how many Arab Americans, Muslim Americans, have been here in their second generation. And you talk to them about the top 10 issues that are of concern to them. And then you look at the national or statewide polls about the top 10 issues most Americans are concerned about, and there may be one or two overlap. And the majority actually are not. For Arab or Muslim Americans, number one's always Israel, Palestine. Two might be Syria, Iraq. Three might be Islamophobia, whatever that means. Four might be teaching about Islam. So, you know, listen, those things might have some importance to some people. I'm not minimizing them, but I think we need to look at those priorities. You look at the top 10 things Americans are concerned about. Taxes, health care, education. Education might be one that overlaps. But I think in the American Islamist community, they want Islamic education, separatist ideas versus integration to the general community. National security, defense, Second Amendment issues, choice, etc., etc., on whatever issues of choice they might be. So, this is the thing. Now, we t- I mentioned Austria to you. You know, in Austria, the Conservative Party just got elected, and, and uh, during the initial interview, Sebastian Kurz, 31, set to become the world's youngest leader after winning the parliamentary election in October with his People's Party. He'll serve as chancellor with the support of the Populist Freedom Party. In the swearing-in ceremony, right afterwards, he unveiled a platform earlier this week on Monday that calls for faster deportations and a halt to illegal immigration. The main emphasis for migrants will be to put on will be put on integrating into Austrian society by adopting local values. Monthly payments to migrants will be cut to three hundred and sixty-five euros with the possibility of earning an integration bonus of 155 euros. What will that integration, how will they measure that? That's fascinating. We want to protect our homeland Austria as a livable place, the new government's platform reads. This includes deciding for ourselves who can immigrate with us and who will end illegal immigration. They propose reforms that would allow authorities to access migrant cell phones to verify their identity and travel routes. Migrants may also be asked to hand over any cash and belongings as they enter the country to help fund their welfare. And there were marches against this. Now, I'm curious, uh, as as a liberty-minded, a civil libertarian, I'm concerned that these types of things will put on migrants inhuman observation and restrictions. That's not a way to integrate people by demonizing them into 
third or fourth class status. I think we need to not infantilize them, but treat them as adults and expect them to work through public-private partnerships through programs which help them integrate. Now, having said that, I do think there may be ways to measure this. Are they doing civil service in, in city organizations, in governmental groups, in nonprofits that do public work? Or are they digging deeper within their own ethnic and language communities? So I think that can be part of the process. There are many examples in society of ways that we've done programs to get people out of welfare, programs to rehabilitate folks uh, uh, into society after having served time, etc. Now, again, this is not to demonize immigrants as prisoners or other things, but we do have programs for social integration that have been tested. And there needs to be ways in which anti-Islamist Muslim reformers American patriots, our fellow colleagues, begin to be involved not through rock-solid imams that are solidified in their Islamist mentality, but through a more modern interpretation, more liberal mindset that does look at integrating them into interfaith work and into social programs that shed or at least put on pause their tribalism. And I think these are important. Now, if governments like Austria's are not helped by other Arabs, other Muslims who have integrated well in forming these programs and are not only patriots but also believers in freedom and democracy, then these will fail. No different than one of the biggest tyrants in the Middle East was Jamal Abdel Nasser, who now I'm seeing videos of him going around the internet, of how this tyrannical dictator used to mock women in hijab and say that the brotherhood would bring you that. And now the West looks at this guy as a modern leader of the 60s when in fact he was a tyrannical fascist Arabist thug who destroyed Egypt, destroyed it. And then Muslim Brotherhood's empowerment was fueled by his dictatorial and torturous method of dealing with those ideas that disagreed with him. Not only the Islamists, but even liberal thinkers, moderate thinkers, and other westernized Democrat types, small d, that were destroyed under Jamal Abdel Nasser and led to a continued deep state military control of a third of the Egyptian economy and continued to maintain them as a third world country. Same thing happened in Syria with Assad's family, in, in Iraq with Saddam Hussein, in Libya with Gaddafi, all cut from the same cloth with just different nativist, fascist nationalist parties, national socialist parties. So, yet that video is going around now as if somehow Jamal Abdel Nasser's secularism is something to be emulated. No. Fascist secularism is as evil as theocratic secular theocratic fascism. So we have to thread the needle between the two fascism and look at Western forms of liberal secular society that allows us to be free while marginalizing the Islamist tyrants, the theocrats, 
but giving voice to that first freedom, religious freedom and religious liberty. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you for being with me. I hope you've heard a voice here that makes sense, that's rational, and that can help empower you to think about ways in which we can begin to fight for our next generation and our children's children, to look for ways that we can have a God-centered society based in morals and humanitarianism and humanity, in which we marginalize evil, in which we marginalize tyranny and oppression, and we work for the advancement of the freedom of all individuals separate from the tribe and separate from status control. This is Udi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll see you next week. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.